Hey, good morning uh, to those of you who are here with us and to those online. My name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Genesis. Uh, today we are continuing in our series we're calling Grow. This year we're walking story by story through the whole gospel of John. We're taking several months to do it. And John's message can really be summed up in a single word. It's the word believe. Throughout every story he records, throughout each passage of scripture, over and over again, John keeps hitting at this exact same message. Believe, believe, believe. It's kind of like one of those old Western movies. Have you ever seen one of those old movies where they're kind of building train tracks and they have to move a big rock or a big boulder and because they didn't have the technology, the only way to do it was to break it in half. And so a team of people would line up, they would have a sledgehammer and they would take turns and they would all keep hitting the rock in the exact same spot. And sometimes it would take days until finally the rock broke open. That's kind of what John does in his gospel account. Over and over again, John hits at the exact same spot, the same message. It is through faith that we are saved, not through works. It is by believing by faith in Jesus Christ that we receive eternal life, that we enter into a close, loving relationship with God. It's, it's through belief in Jesus that we get love and acceptance and so today I want to remind you of an important part in the heart of the gospel, and it's a fundamental truth about the message of Christianity, and that's this, that God accepts you because of what he did for you, not because of what you do for him. God accepts you and loves you because of what he did for you, not because of what you do for him. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to John chapter 3. Before we dive into that, though, I'm going to pray for us. Would you please pray with me? Father, I am so thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ. I am so thankful for the message of John's gospel that it's through faith that we are saved. It is through faith that we are reconciled with you. It is through faith that we enter into this eternal, life-giving, love relationship with you. It is through faith that we are adopted as your sons and daughters. It is through faith. And Father, I just think that that is such good news, but it's so hard to understand in our flesh and in our minds and in the world we live in that it takes the power of God to grasp it. And so I ask, Father, as we open up your word and as we look at this encounter between Jesus and this man named Nicodemus, would you pour out your spirit on us? And would you, through your Holy Spirit, open up our eyes and help us to see how glorious of a father you are? Through your spirit, would you enable our hearts to experience your love and let the good news that we are saved by faith, that we are reconciled by faith, make that move from our head down into our hearts here this morning. Fill our hearts with your love, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I think I'm thinking about just, let's just keep praying. Okay, here we go. Before we... Um, Let's do a, uh, before we dive into John chapter three, let's do a quick recap, okay? So if you're here this last week and you heard this message, uh, just to be familiar with you, if you weren't here, let me give you a little recap of what happened. So we looked at in John chapter two, Jesus and his disciples go up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now the Passover festival was a celebration uh, and a remembrance of when God had delivered the Israelites from slavery back in Egypt hundreds of years prior to uh, when Jesus was there. 
uh, in his life and ministry. So tens of thousands of people would travel from out the region, throughout the area, throughout the region, to Jerusalem each year to celebrate. Now, when Jesus and his disciples arrive in Jerusalem, they enter the temple courts, and Jesus finds people selling animals at exorbitant prices and money changers uh, charging excessive fees. And Jesus makes a whip, and he drives them out saying, stop turning my father's house into a market. Well, as you can imagine, this leaves quite an impression on everyone. And when people witness what Jesus did, some begin moving towards belief and commitment to Jesus. One of those people was a man named Nicodemus. We're going to look at his story today in John chapter 3. Let's pick it up, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's important. We're going to come back to that. He came to Jesus at night. Now, we think that this may have been the night after Jesus cleared the temple uh, courts, maybe one or two nights after, but the context is we're still in the Passover festival, okay? So Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night, and he says, Rabbi, calls Jesus Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So a little background on Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, and he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, which is the Sanhedrin. Now, there were as many as 6,000 Pharisees at this time, but there are only 70 men in the Sanhedrin. And so Nicodemus is one of these Sanhedrin leaders of the Pharisees. Now, they were the ones who would eventually give Jesus a bogus trial and condemn him to death and crucify him. That's who this group is. But we shouldn't assume that just because Nicodemus was a Pharisee that he's the villain in this story as though the villain, as the Pharisees often are throughout John's gospel account. The fact that Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of night suggests that he's genuinely interested in getting to know Jesus. Now, some, say, some suggest that he did so simply so he could catch Jesus one-on-one and have an intimate conversation away from the crowds, to have a, a longer dialogue with him. Others suspect that it had more to do with the fact that who, those might be watching. I mean, if the rest of the ruling council knew that Nicodemus was meeting with Jesus, what would they think? What would happen if his, to his reputation or to his position if that news got out? Remember, here's a guy who kind of had it all, Nicodemus did. Think about this. He was educated. He had achieved success. He had influence and the respect of his peers. He certainly had some level of financial security. He lived a good moral life. He had spent a lifetime trying to honor God. He was one of the religious leaders, likely a decorated teacher of God's word. And yet he comes to this carpenter from Nazareth who was leading an upstart ministry full of ragtag disciples. And clearly Nicodemus is seeing something in Jesus that he is drawn to him. He moves towards Jesus. He calls him a teacher sent from God. He acknowledges that there's something about Jesus that is unique, and Nicodemus wants to learn more about him. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you are searching for something in your life, and you're wondering if Jesus is the one who has it. You've tried everything the world has to offer, but you're still unsatisfied Maybe you're drawn to Jesus and you want to learn more about him. And that's why you're here at church or that's why you're watching online. But there's others of you who've been a Christian your whole life. You've been attending church for a long time and you've been trying to be a really good Christian for a long time. 
But if you're really candid about your relationship with God, you'd say something still just doesn't seem right. All these years, I, something hasn't made its way down into my heart. I know all the right answers, but I hope and trust that Jesus wants to speak to you this morning. Let's see what Jesus has to say to Nicodemus. Let's pick it up in verse three. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus, says, hey, you're a good teacher sent from God. I'm here to have a conversation with you. Jesus' first reply that we have, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, this is probably not quite where the conversation, where Nicodemus thought the uh, conversation was going to go, right? Have you ever sought guidance from someone and you can approach someone about a conversation, something you had in mind, and then all of a sudden they give you an unexpected advice or unexpected answer? And Jesus tells Nicodemus, you are spiritually blind. Now, throughout his ministry, Jesus actually calls the Pharisees blind guides, you know the phrase, the blind leading the blind? Do you know where that came from? It came from Jesus speaking about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15. They were the blind leading the blind. Then Jesus tells Nicodemus that he needs, this, he needs a new birth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So he says, you're, you're kind of blind. You've got a spiritual blind and you need a spiritual birth. If you want to see, you must be born again. Some, some translations say you must be born from above or born from heaven. Nicodemus calls Jesus a teacher from God. And so the implication here is that Nicodemus is wanting to have a spiritual conversation with him. He's wanting to have a conversation about the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, sure, we'll have a conversation. And then Jesus goes right at his heart. He doesn't waste any time and says, listen, before we can talk about God and his kingdom and spiritual things, Nicodemus, you need a spiritual birth. Now listen to how Nicodemus responds. Verse four, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus is probably older. He's probably like, what are you talking about? This is a curveball, right? And then he says, surely you can't enter a second time into your mother's womb. A little sarcasm there from Nicodemus. He's confused. Jesus is throwing him for a loop. Why would he, a Pharisee, need a spiritual birth? He'd already been born into God's chosen people group, the nation of Israel. He had risen to be one of the most elite members of society. He had devoted his entire life to following all of God's laws and commands. Why would he not be able to see the kingdom of God? Why would he need a spiritual birth? Listen to author David Guzak says about this in his commentary. He says, Jesus' reply to Nicodemus shattered the Jewish assumption that their identity, their old birth, assured them a place in God's kingdom. Only being born again gives us this assurance. That's what would have been very confusing for Nicodemus. You've got to put yourself in his shoes. He's like, wait a minute, what? His mind is probably spinning. And Jesus tries to help him understand. Pick it up in verse 5. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised, Nicodemus, at my saying you must be born again. Why are you surprised by that, Nicodemus? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So first, Jesus says no one can see. And then he says no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the Spirit. Now, what is the kingdom of God? It's a long answer, but the, the, a, a, a big topic. But the short answer is this. Simply put, it's the family of God. Jesus is saying, you enter the kingdom of God, the family of God, through a spiritual birth. Just as flesh and blood 
mother gives birth to a flesh and blood child, the Holy Spirit of God is the one who gives birth to spiritual children. Now, the Greek word for born again can also mean to be born from above. And the point is this, that God is the source of our spiritual birth or our spiritual life. John talks about that throughout his gospel. Where does life come from? Real life, eternal life. It comes from God. And then Jesus says, it's kind of like the wind. It's not something you can control. You can't enter the kingdom of God through your own moral efforts, Jesus says. Now, remember how John, how John opened his gospel account back in John chapter 1? Let's look back there. John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. This is how John is uh, in his introduction. Here's one of the things he says. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, he gave God gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. We have no right to the spiritual birth. We don't earn the right of a spiritual birth. God gives us that right to those who believe. This is one of the primary themes in John's gospel account. We aren't spiritually born. We aren't spiritually born through our own efforts. We don't earn the right to become children of God. God gives us that right to those who believe by faith in Jesus. Jesus also mentions being born of water. Now, there are two basic views on what he meant. Jesus may have been referring to water baptism, which would really uh, signify repentance. But what's more likely, and others suggest this, is that Jesus may have been referring and was likely referring to an Old Testament passage that Nicodemus would have known as a teacher of the law. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 36. Here's what it says. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Here's what I want you to point out. He quotes this passage, probably like, not quotes it, he was likely referring to this passage and Nicodemus would have heard this and Jesus is trying to help him understand where the spiritual birth comes from. Did you notice how many times God uses the phrase, I in that passage? This was a prophetic Old Testament passage about the Messiah, about Jesus and what God would accomplish for his people through Jesus. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will remove your heart of stone. I will put my spirit in you. Jesus says, Nicodemus, just as a baby isn't born through its own effort, neither will you enter the kingdom of God through your own effort or through your own merit or through your own performance. I'm the one who does this work in you. I'm the one who gives you the right to be called a children of God. Now, Nicodemus is listening and he's taking all this in. If you put yourself in his shoes, he's he's really overwhelmed. And here's his response. These are the last words we have of Nicodemus in this conversation. How can this be? How, How can this be? How can this happen? How is this possible? If you're just looking at the narrative of this whole story, this is really the turning point. This is the key question that I think the apostle John is wanting us to hang on to. How can this be? Listen, if you really wrestle with the gospel and the message of Christianity, 
you will eventually get to the point where you ask this question, how can this be? Entry into the kingdom of God, the family of God, isn't based on my moral performance or my moral resume? How can this be? It's only through faith. I just believe in Jesus and he's the one who did all the work for me. And and if I believe he gives me the right to become children, it's not about me. It's about what he does for me. His love and acceptance is not based on anything I do. It's based on what Jesus did for me. How can this be? It's such good news. It's so contrary to the message of the world. It's contrary to every major religion throughout human history. If you really begin to wrestle with and think about the good news and the grace of God and what he has done for us on the cross, the message is through faith we are saved. You'll say, how can that be? That's too good. What a deal. And Nicodemus is saying, how can this be? How does this happen? And Jesus is going to say, well, Nicodemus, here's how it happens. Here's what is your part, Nicodemus. Here's what our part is to play. Here's how this comes about. In verse verse 14, here's what Jesus says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Wait, right here. Jesus refers to another Old Testament passage that Nicodemus would have known. And he says this, just as Moses lifted uh, lifted up the snake in the wilderness... All right, now Nicodemus would have known that story, but my guess is we don't really aren't familiar with that story. When I started preparing this week, I thought I remember seeing this story on the series The Chosen, but I don't remember exactly where that is. Does anybody rem- has everybody seen the series online called The Chosen? Has anybody raise your hand? Yes. Okay. For those of you who have not, I highly recommend it. Just go on Google. Uh, and, and Google uh, The Chosen. It's a fantastic series. And in this episode, they do a fantastic job in their episode with Nicodemus. Now, there's a few things in there. I'm not quite sure I agree, but most, for the most part, it's really, really well done. Now, if you remember that episode, for those of you who've seen it, what is the opening scene? It's with Moses. It's this scene in the wilderness with the Israelites. Let's look there. It's in uh, Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites are on their way. Here's the context, Okay. The Israelites are on their way to the Red Sea. And they're grumbling and complaining against Moses and against God. And so the Lord sends snakes among them to discipline them and to judge them and their sin. And many were bitten by the snakes and many of the Israelites were dying by the, by the snake bites. And they're convicted of their sin. And so they come to Moses and they ask for his forgiveness. Pick it up verse seven. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord, when we grumbled and complained against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. They come to Moses, the guy who's the intercessor between them and God. And they say, will you, will you take away our sin? Will you... Pray for forgiveness. The Lord said to Moses, here's what we're going to do, Moses. Make a snake and put it on a pole. Put it up, lift it up, and anyone who's bitten uh, can look at it and live. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake, they looked at the bronze snake and they lived. So this is what Moses does. Moses makes a bronze snake and he puts it up on a pole and he lifts it up. And anybody that is bitten by the snake and is about to die because of the snake bite, all they have to do to be saved from death is look at the pole. 
How were the people saved from death? Oh, gosh, this is so good. They just look in faith. They don't have to get themselves up off the ground. They don't have to start kind of doing their part so that God can do his part. They just laying there, now bitten with a verdict of death imminent. And what do they have to do to be saved? Look in faith. Ah, what a deal. What is this? God is giving them a foretelling of the grace that's going to come through Jesus. Jesus is the better Moses. And Jesus was lifted up on a pole. And John is saying, and Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, this is how you're born again. You look at me in faith. How do we escape the venomous, poisonous bite of death called sin? You look in faith at Jesus. You don't have to pay for your sins. Just look at Jesus. You don't have to overcome your weaknesses and your failures. Just look at Jesus. You don't have to get it all together or clean yourself up to get love and acceptance from God. You just have to look at Jesus in faith. You don't have to prove yourself. Just look at Jesus. You don't have to earn your value and your worth. Just look at Jesus. You don't have to accomplish some great thing with your life. Just look at Jesus. John is telling us you don't even have to be a good spouse or a good parent or a good Christian. Just look at Jesus. This is radical. Nicodemus would have left that day thinking about the story of Moses and the words of Jesus. Now listen, here's the thing. We don't have any recorded response from Nicodemus. And that's on purpose. See, throughout John's gospel account, he gives us these stories of individuals who encountered Jesus and who responded in a variety of different ways. And Nicodemus has this encounter with Jesus and John, the gospel writer, doesn't tell us how he responds. He leaves it open-ended. We don't know for sure whether or not Nicodemus believes or even what he was thinking in that moment. Now, I think Nicodemus may have, been, may have walked away thinking something like this. Wait, you're saying, Jesus, we are saved through faith and not from our works? We are made right with God and adopted in his family. We enter the kingdom of heaven, not based on what we do, not based on our moral resume or our moral performance, but based simply on believing in faith in what Jesus has done for us and in his moral performance and his sinlessness. How can this be? Nicodemus must have left asking. See, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus has spent his entire adult life putting forth great personal effort at entering the kingdom of God. The whole goal of the Pharisees was to keep the Ten Commandments and follow all 600 laws of the Torah. They believed that just that because the, they kept the law, they were pleasing to God. In fact, the word Pharisee comes from a Hebrew word meaning separated. It was their personal efforts at keeping the law that they believed set them apart from everyone else. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul addresses this issue head on. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. This is the New Living Translation. It's real simple. I, I like how he... he uh, how they phrase it. For no one can, Paul writes this, Romans 3, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. That's good news. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God. By how? How are we made right with God? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. 
no matter who we are. Paul's teaching the same thing here that Jesus was trying to teach to Nicodemus. Paul goes on in chapter 3, verse 27. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? This is what would have gotten at Nicodemus' heart. You're saying, you're saying it has nothing to do with me and my performance? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. And so we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. This is exactly what Jesus was trying to teach Nicodemus. Now, the reality is very few of us here this morning are probably trying every day to keep the Old Testament law in order to gain God's acceptance and love, in order to please God like Nicodemus was. But we can easily be tempted, and I often do, my guess is you as well, make the mistake of believing that we are pleasing and acceptable to God because of our moral resume. But that's not the gospel of Christianity. That's not the message of Jesus. At the end of Nicodemus' conversation with uh, Jesus, the apostle John added some commentary. And it's there where John gives us maybe the most well-known Bible verse in the world. It's John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved you and me that he willingly, gladly, joyfully, Ephesians chapter one says it was his delight and his pleasure to give us his son. That Jesus left heaven, left his throne, came to earth for us to live a life we couldn't live, to live a sinless life. He lived a perfect moral record. He built the perfect resume. He earned the 4.0 straight A report card. And then in his death and resurrection, he says, if you put your faith and trust in me and believe in me, I not only forgive you, I give you total forgiveness of sins. I also offer you complete righteousness. I give you all of the riches and righteousness of Christ. My resume gets credited to your account. For God so loved the world that he gave his one son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then John says this in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's only one and only son. This is the first time John mentions this word condemned and this idea condemned. He introduces it into his gospel account right here. Notice that Jesus says, whoever does not believe stands condemned already. What's he mean? Well, the word for condemned here can also be translated judged. In fact, the majority of the time it's used throughout the New Testament, it's used, it's translated judged. And here's the thing. The Greek word for judge or condemned is the, Greek, is the word krino. And it means to pronounce an opinion concerning right or wrong. Or it's being brought to trial and having one's case examined and passing a judgment on it. Pastor and author Tim Keller says, what we're all looking for, what we're all searching for, whether we realize it or not, is the ultimate verdict. Are we acceptable and good and loved in the eyes of our creator? Are we acceptable in the eyes of the only one whose opinion really matters? Keller says we often look for that ultimate verdict every day in every circumstance, in every situation, in the eyes of those around us, in all of our relationships, we're constantly moving in and out of our lives every day. 
looking for this ultimate verdict. And here's what that means. It means we live our lives on trial. Whether we realize it or not, every day we put ourselves back in the courtroom. If you're sitting here today and you've been following Jesus for any amount of time and you're tired of that and you're exhausted, this is what Jesus has to say to you. Jesus comes to us this morning through John's gospel account and says, for those who put their faith and trust in Christ, for those who have looked at Jesus in faith and believe, the ultimate verdict has come in, not guilty. Let's look back at verse 18, but I want to look at it in the ESV translation. He says this, the one who believes in him is not judged. Oh, that is good news. I hope, I hope, oh, I hope the Holy Spirit just takes this and just kind of works it down into your heart. This is what we need to hear. This is what we need to experience at the heart level. It needs to move from the head down into the heart and into our soul. We need to grasp with our hearts that in Christ, the trial is over. We are no longer judged. The courtroom is closed. You are free to go. Free from what, you may ask? free from having to earn God's love and acceptance. He's given it to you. It's yours in Christ. So now you don't have to get and look for love and acceptance in the people around you. And you don't have to look at the circumstances of your life to gain love and acceptance because you've been given it from the one whose opinion matters most. You've been given it from your heavenly father. It's yours in Christ for the sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. The ultimate verdict from God our Father has come in. And here's the good news. God accepts you because of what he did for you, not because of what you do for him. This is the gospel and this is the good news. This was good news for Nicodemus and it's good news for you and me. See, in Christianity, our faith is not in what we do for God, but our faith is in what God has done for us. And that's an offensive message. That's an offensive message to the world. Because A, it says your moral efforts don't mean anything. You need to put your faith and trust in Christ. And it also means that even the worst of sinners, who's committed the most heinous of crimes, they're forgiven by putting their faith and trust in Christ. The world says that the way to acceptance is through your performance. If you perform well, if you limit your weaknesses and failures, if you're strong and successful, if you minimize the bad and you maximize the good, then you're welcomed and invited in. You are embraced and included in the, into God's family. And so we try really hard to earn acceptance. We try so hard to overcome our weaknesses. We try to avoid failure at all costs. We try to minimize or even hide our sin and our weaknesses and our failures and our imperfections and our limitations. We try to earn the acceptance of our peers. We try to earn the acceptance of our employers. Children try to earn their acceptance of their parents. Parents try to earn their acceptance of their children. Players try to earn the acceptance of their coaches. This is the way of the world, and it's the lie of the enemy. And if it has creeped into your faith and your relationship with God, then today, just repent of it and say no to it and look to Jesus in faith. Because the gospel says that God accepts you because of what Jesus did for you, not because of what you do for him. 
Now, Nicodemus shows up two more times in John, John's gospel account. Later on in chapter 7, he comes to Jesus' defense when there's an argument and uh, the Pharisees are ridiculing Jesus. And then in chapter 9, there's this really sweet scene. After the crucifixion, Jesus' body is taken down and it's placed in a tomb. And it's placed in the tomb by a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. It was his tomb. And there was a second guy there who took Jesus' body with Joseph of Arimathea and who placed his body in the tomb and who served Jesus' broken dead body. Do you know who that man was? It was Nicodemus. By all accounts, by the time we got to that point, Nicodemus had believed. He had put his faith and trust in Christ. He had received the right to become an adopted son of God. Maybe you're this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ. Maybe for some of you, you're like Nicodemus and you have been following God and doing church and trying to be a good Christian for years. But maybe right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and your eyes are starting to open and this gospel message, this good news is starting to make its way down to your heart and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I've never really grasped it. You mean I bring nothing to the table? It's nothing, it's nothing about me? I, it's not based on my moral efforts? No. You mean all I have to do is look in weakness and in faith, faith as small as a mustard seed, all you do is believe in Jesus and that all, all the forgiveness and the righteousness and gets credited to my account, I get adopted as a child of God. That's it? Yes! That's the good news of Jesus. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. John, Jesus tells John, uh, Nicodemus, the minute you believe, you put your faith and trust in Christ, genuinely, sincerely, you're born again, born from above, and you experience a spiritual birth by the power of the Holy Spirit and you're welcomed into the family of God, included and embraced as a son or daughter. That's good news. We're gonna sing a song in just a minute. It's one of my favorite songs we've sang in the last couple of years. Actually, a group from Genesis wrote this song. It's called Look at the Cross. I wanna invite you to stand with this. Let's take a minute right now. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, I wanna encourage you through this song to just look and in prayer, look to the cross. And for the rest of us, let's have our minds renewed and our hearts renewed as we look to the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his love and his grace. I am so thankful for the good news that whoever would believe shall not perish but have eternal life. That is good news. God, would you make it true to our hearts today in a fresh and new way? In Jesus' name I pray.